radio back here for number 23 i believe now so um pretty pretty excited i i had a a week off last week but this week i've got a very very special guest he's a two-time olympian a silver medalist at the 2012 olympic games he's um, a world champion in the basketball um, he's done a lot of different things and um and has an absolutely incredible story and best thing about it is he's a local legend here in horsham so welcome yannick hello mate good to be, huh? good to be here yeah beauty um, now, I remember sort of going through high school, um, and I went to St. B's, the same school as you, you're also a few years older than me, and I remember going through and always hearing um, stories of you from, you know, teachers or classmates, and I had, you know, dance Losh in, um, in my year level, so always hearing about you, and, and I feel like I know your story pretty well, but I've never had the chance to meet you, and I'm so, so happy to actually have that chance today. So thank you for you know setting aside some time um, today, and I'm pretty keen to get into your story because I know it's a, a very special one and a very sort of um, big one as well, and it can have a, a big impact on on some people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but before I do, I want to ask you, what is your weirdest habit? Oh, yeah, I, I I didn't actually um, come up with an answer for that one. I, I was thinking about it all all morning. I, I don't know what you would classify as weird. Like, could be I, anything. Yeah, I, I everyone's ju- definition is is different. For sure. I mean, as far as a habit, I juggle a lot, which I think maybe okay. some people would consider weird. It started off as a way. I don't know. Something else I wanted to learn how to do, and then it was a good way to procrastinate. I guess get out of studying, and then now it's yeah. evolved into something I do a little bit to maybe to, I don't know as almost a form of meditation. I also do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got a pre-game routine where. I do a lot of stretching and juggling and like listening to certain types of music, music and yeah. and things that I I feel like it really does help. I mean, it helps with your hand-eye coordination for sure. It helps for me personally to get me in in the zone. In the zone, to, yeah. Um, to say it, to, to put it in a certain way. So um, I don't know if you would call that a habit, but there's something that that I've done for a long time and something I enjoy doing and something that I think that helps me. I don't know if you call it weird or not. Yeah, no, I love um, that. So yeah, that's that's something that I've spend a bit of time doing and some people find it weird it's a weird thing when you all of a sudden like always in the supermarket will start juggling <laughs> apples or oranges or whatever and then it usually takes people off and if, if yeah. you find another juggler um sounds like we've got some weird cult club but yeah. um i live in a hotel in spain and i've got juggling balls on my um desk in my room and one of the waiters that come comes up and brings the meals to our yeah. rooms in the evenings for dinner he saw my juggling balls and started speaking to me about juggling and then we had this mad juggling chat because he's a big time juggler and then he showed me all these YouTube videos of him juggling and then we like juggled together a bit and he's like, let's go down to the park and have a mad juggling sesh. So, <laughs> yeah. Which um, just spawned out of that. So, so cool. I would consider that pretty weird. Like yeah. when that's happening, my room, not my roommate, one of the guys that I live with over there, um, he lives in, in the hotel as well. He was there and he's just watching this interaction between these two people. He's like, what is happening? What? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I guess that that probably is a weird habit to have, and um, yeah, so. No, that's awesome. Can you do like more than three? Can you do like the four? Four, five? four is usually where I where I cap it off. Yeah. Um, this guy that that I was just met in Spain can do five, and I was pretty impressed Gosh. with that. And uh, it just goes on and on. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I was. Um, I can do the three pretty mm-hmm. well, and you know I've been trying to learn some other like tricks with yeah, the where cool you kind of like can do. hold it yeah. up the top and sort of let it go, whatever. But yeah. It's pretty pretty tricky, yeah. I must admit. It definitely takes a lot of hand-eye coordination. Um, yeah, so let's take a step back now to when you were sort of, you know, a young lad. Now, I know that um, when you were a young boy, that's probably the time where, um, and I, I'm not going to put words into your mouth, but it was probably a very pivotal part of your life. Um, can you explain the the accident that sort of happened when you were younger and, and the outcome of that, just so that the audience gets a bit of background to it? Yeah, just to go over it briefly. So I grew up on a farm uh, at Kelkey, about 16 kilometres north of Horsham. Had a super, super normal farming upbringing. Two brothers, one older, one younger. Um, so three young boys growing up on a farm, all super active, all big into sports and just generally enjoyed being outside. Yeah. Um, played footy for Kelkey, played number of different sports, played cricket out at Blackheath, played tennis and enjoyed athletics. And, yeah, yeah. You know, just super, super active, all, all three of us were. Um, so 
that went to school um, in Horsham, primary school at Lutheran, and it just started secondary school at St. Bridget's. And so just in terms of like our day-to-day life, a lot of it was spent outside, getting toward that age at 12 when I had the accident where we started to do a lot of farm work incorporated, Mm -hmm. just whenever you get home from school, you're either out playing or um, trying to get out of work. And then if you if, old, if my old man or granddad would catch us, they'd have us doing something, picking weeds or yep. just general sort of um, farming upbringing. So on a, I think it was March 21st, it was a Sunday in 2004. So I was 12, I just turned 12. We'd had one of those normal weekends where we'd just been working on the farm. Yep. Um, I had one of my mates, Matthew Optical, who was out with me. Mm. And then Thomas was out there as well with one of his mates as well. So we'd spent the day working and we're all... Um, on our way back to the house, essentially, I was driving my granddad's ute, which mm-hmm. was um, a manual, and my older brother was driving his car um, and got back to the house. He, in that whole in exchange, asked me or challenged me whether I'd want to have a race from one side of the paddock to the other, him driving his car, me driving my granddad's ute. Thomas is 16 months older than me, so... Um, yeah. The classic, always yeah. wanting to... Never wanting to get outdone by your brother and, and wanting to to be better than your older brother at everything. So, of course, I accepted. Um, about halfway across the paddock, he was driving automatic and was a lot was a lot more accomplished driver than I was, being mm. 13 and an end a half or however <laughs> old he was. Um, so I just decided to turn it around and, and go back when I was about halfway across. When I turned, turned a bit too fast. Um, with the paddock I was driving on, had a lot of straw stubble. stubble it had been yeah. wheat. Uh, growing weed had been grown up the year before so the ute slipped on the straw and gripped in some dirt and rolled i didn't have my seatbelt on and the window was down so as the ute rolled i was thrown outside the window i can't actually remember that Mm. experience all i can remember when i think about it is just seeing black and then light and then black and then light which i assume is when the ute was rolling yeah um and then nothing for a week i well um my older brother saw it more or less happen in his rear vision mirror as he was driving away. Yeah. So he turned around and came back. He found me lying outside of the ute. Um, I was screaming that I couldn't feel my legs. Had blood coming out of my mouth. Thomas obviously knew that was pretty serious. Mm. Matthew, the other my other friend who was in the car, he when I went out of the window, he essentially slid across into the driver's seat. Um, hurt his knee on the windscreen, but ultimately. Yeah. Ultimately, he was fine. He was, um, I think he was on crutches for a little while, but yeah, but um, just a scar now. Thomas went and got my old man. We came down, saw that I was in a pretty bad way, blood coming out of the mouth, knew that that meant internal injuries, which meant mm. bad news. Um, had to get me into the hospital as quick as possible because, um, and luckily he did. I damaged my lungs severely in, in the rolling of the ute. I broke my back, incomplete at T7, completed yeah. T8 punctured my lungs and broke my left wrist three spots within a centimeter my right wrist was already broken from a bmx accident a couple of weeks before so um i got airlifted from horsham to melbourne was in placed in an acute induced coma for a week um woke up after after that yeah handcuffed to the bed because i so when my lungs collapsed they put a tracheotomy in which is essentially uh a device that helps you breathe Mm -hmm. if your lungs have punctured they're not function anymore you can't breathe so they put a tracheotomy in a ventilator essentially um to keep your lungs yeah. working to keep oxygen circulating through your body so they operated um i guess in my throat to put the tube in there so and apparently when i was it's quite an uncomfortable thing to have as you can yeah. as you can imagine a tube that goes into your throat right, and then yeah. into your lungs to help you breathe um and when i was in the coma apparently i was kept pulling it out without obviously knowing, knowing about it yeah, just because it yeah. was such an uncomfortable thing to have. Yeah. Um, so they ha- had to handcuff me to the rails, which is how I woke up with two casts on my arms, handcuffed to the bed. Couldn't talk because of the ventilators. Yeah. I couldn't talk. Had that in for a month, so I couldn't talk or eat or breathe by myself for a month. So everything, all my food was through the Goodness, nose. Yeah. Um, and yeah, couldn't talk. So I had to write everything on a whiteboard, which is bit of a test of my handwriting skills um, yeah. so that was how I woke up and obviously no sensation in my legs um, didn't have to be told the doctor did tell me like, you've broken your back you won't be able to walk again ever blah 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 yeah. didn't have to be told like it's a weird I mean I don't know whether it sounds weird or not but as soon as I woke up I knew that like 
you yeah, just I just couldn't feel it. Like it just, I knew that that was that was the situation. Yeah, the doctor obviously reaffirmed it, but um, it was it didn't come as a shock to me when I woke up. I was like, well, this is this is yeah. how it is now. So yeah, right. Um, so yeah, that was that was pretty much the accident experience. Um, I had a a bit over a month in in intensive care. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the after a month of having the ventilator in, they tried to take it out. The unfortunately, my lungs hadn't quite recovered enough. They took it out. I lasted until about two or three a.m. Uh, and then my lungs collapsed again, which was a terrifying experience. I was fast asleep and then wake, bolt upright, uh, with no just a no ability to breathe. breathe. Just lungs just were not functioning. Luckily, I was obviously in in intensive in care, care and hooked up to all the um, all the observational. Uh, yeah. devices so the nurses were in straight away and they hooked me up to a ventilator and after another week or two the, my lungs were strong enough to to be able to breathe by myself but that was a pretty terrifying experience yeah after all that gradually obviously improving i got moved to the kids ward and from there started my rehabilitation at royal talbot which was yeah usually people live there um but me being a 12 year old kid they wanted to keep me sort of apart it's a pretty tough environment Royal Talbot it's a rehabilitation center for well that different wards I was obviously in the spinal ward mm-hmm. there's um, rehabilitation center for amputees there as well yeah uh, but pretty heavy stuff for a 12 year old I guess like yeah. the, a lot of people that have spinal cord injuries obviously older people and it's it's a really tough thing mentally to to come to terms with mm. I think I was really fortunate to have had my accident at such a young age when you're still when you're a 12 year old kid and I see 12 year olds now and I think it's wild that I was driving a ute at that age and that I had an accident as severe as mine was at that age. But the beauty about having it so young is that you're still learning, you're still growing, you're still coming to terms with what life is, who you, you yeah. are, what your body looks like, how how it is. So yeah, um, I attribute the fact that, so I never really got depressed about uh, being like having my accident, losing the ability to walk. Yeah. Like I never obviously had happier days than others but i i never entered into any real depression or ever had that feeling of why me or felt sorry for myself never never experienced that never i was just super super excited as soon as i could get out of bed and be in a wheelchair i was like this is unreal wheelchairs are amazing like i was just super excited to be able to get around again being in a bed sucked being away being in melbourne not being at home not being able to go to school as crazy as that sounds. Yeah. As a twelve year old, I was just itching to get back to school, be with my mates, and be back, just living life. So, I I wondered that because like, and and that makes sort of sense because I suppose for those that go through that sort of thing at a, a later age, they've already experienced a, a sort of good portion of their life. Whereas you were so young, yeah, I never really sort of thought about it that way. It's, it's, yeah, I think it plays a massive part because if you think about, and that's the hard thing when you're a 30 or 40 year old mm. man or, or woman and, and everything up until that point, your life has been building, you know, you've, you've, your profession, yeah. who, who you identify as, who people see you as, uh, just everything that you've done, you know, mm. when you have such a drastic change, a lot of people really struggle to, I guess, to wrap their head around it, to maybe to you undoubtedly going to have to take a new path in some capacity yeah. probably in your working life if you're working in any sort of a physical capacity say as a builder um you know that's something that just when it boils down you're not going to be able to do anymore yeah. certainly not to the same capacity just to be blunt about it there's other th- there's a, a million things that you still can do but yeah. you've got to accept that that there are things that you aren't able to do obviously um i my opinion is that it's more important to focus on the things that you can do and so long as you've got your your mind still working and uh then and even without that even if it is damaged it's important to focus on on that side of things rather than what you can't yeah but it is hard to accept that and i think the the older we get the more set in our ways we get and the harder Mm. it is to to come to terms Mm. with that so that's why when i was going through rehab they didn't want me to stay there all the time they just i stayed in the kids ward went there during the day to do my rehab to learn how to use a wheelchair how to dress myself how to just live again you have to learn pretty much everything from scratch um 
but they didn't want me in that environment all the time because it can be quite negative because people are going through really traumatic experiences and just yeah. trying to come to terms with it. Uh, a lot of guys, unfortunately, it's young males are the highest statistic in a rehabilitation center like that. I think between like a 16 and a 30-year-old man is the... I don't, there'd be a figure and I'm just yeah. picking one out, but it's something in that sort of capacity. Our chances of having a spinal cord injury are dramatically higher than he, or dying or having a, yeah. a serious injury are dramatically higher. So you see, I saw a lot of really young guys, probably like my age now, I'm 28, but a lot of guys in their 20s that have dove into a, a creek or a river and broken yeah. their neck and yeah. fallen off roofs, building, or just naturally being being men yeah. young men we put ourselves at risk more so than than probably other demographics and and then therefore pay the price when it happens and it's a it's a really tough period in people's lives to to come to terms with and that's why they they try to keep me away away from that all the time i think i'm really glad i was exposed to it but um obviously that was yeah. sort of the mentality there um and it was at the rehabilitation center where i met where i started i guess their whole mantra is to for them to be able to help the the patients, I guess, that are in there, the people that have had injuries to resume their lives as similar uh, to what it was before, oh, yeah. before you had your accident. So for me, that was getting back on the farm. It was getting back into yeah. sports. It was getting back living in Horsham, going to school, mm. hanging out with my mates. It was That was all I wanted to do, and they did a really good job of helping me do that. Uh, they introduced me to all the different sports that someone with a disability can do, which is more or less everything that yeah, you can much, do. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. They're, they're adapted, but I played basketball before, so I love getting into wheelchair basketball afterwards. Yeah. There's no AFL. There is a wheelchair AFL. Um, it's got a long way to go, in my opinion, and it's just something that's really hard to replicate, not being able to use your legs, but yeah. it exists. I didn't really get into it. It's kind of new, but I think wheelchair basketball, um, it's, a it's not technically a non-contact sport, but because of the high <laughs> amounts of contact, I think that it is probably the closest thing yeah. maybe that, that there is to wheelchair having a wheelchair AFL equivalent yeah. so I think that's probably why I took to it so much and yeah. I think that's why Australia is probably so good at it as mm. a country because it's we're used to those sort of contact sports, sports. with rugby and, and footy and true uh, so yeah that was sort of rehab is just getting back to life as similar as as it was beforehand and, and yeah. getting back to living on the farm and back to going to school at St Bridges and just yeah being back with my mates and I didn't put a lot of thought into it really I didn't never occurred to me right. that I should be depressed it, it yeah. really it wasn't at that a, young age you kind of don't really think about that anyway you don't think not at all no. you, you just want to yeah as you said be with your mates and, yeah. and sort of you know be around people and, and do you know the cool things you do exactly yeah so and, and that was it and reflecting on it now I've done a little bit of public speaking in the last however many years probably started in around after 2012 probably when after we had a pretty successful campaign in London and I yep. came back from there. I got asked to start doing some speaking and I spoke obviously a little bit about my athletic achievements, but a lot of it ultimately stems from like, obviously talk about my accident and and not that I intend for it to be inspirational. I just talk about my experience. I mainly talk about the things that I've seen which inspire me, not necessarily that I think my story is particularly inspiring. Yeah, I'm. I just did what felt natural and what I think that people would say to me I think it's incredible what you do but I would be willing to bet that anybody would do the same sort of thing thing Mm. in my situation I don't think it's anything particularly um, out there I think it's just a natural human reaction to Mm. to situations that we're we're put in I think a lot of it comes down to the fact I had really good family and friend support Um, yeah I was going to ask you that what was your, your support network like what was like you know the the support from the school and yeah and all of it was great and and, yeah. and what and I think that's so important massively important and I think that's probably what it comes down to I don't think that necessarily one human being is more impressive or spectacular than the other I think a lot of it comes down to circumstance and I think it more comes down to the people that you're sort of surrounded by mm. and 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 who can support you and and how they treat you and the thing when I started doing, giving these speeches and, and talking about my story and the thing that I realized the most is that um, the most important thing for me after having my accident was the fact that my friends and family never treated me any differently. Yeah. And I mean, you can look at it one or two ways. Like they didn't treat me any differently, but I also didn't want to be treated any differently. So that kind of, they go hand in hand. Mm. And one story that I always tell 
um, I usually have a little slideshow with a few pictures <laughs> to um, come here to help help uh, I guess create the uh, set the scene for the story, but I just have to describe it. So one of my uh, older brothers, really good mates, who I'd consider a brother now myself, uh, Ziggy, he had mm-hmm. come and spent Christmas with us in two thousand and nine or ten, something around there. I was around seventeen or eighteen at the time, and for Christmas. He, I've got a photo of it and I always put the photo up on, on the screen and I ask people, tell them the story that for Christmas that year he bought me a stepladder and there's a photo of him giving me this stepladder for Christmas and we're both smiling and he's shaking my hand and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. I always ask people whether they think that that's a good thing or a bad thing, what what he did, because obviously a stepladder is useless to me not being able to walk. I'm mm. completely dependent in a wheelchair. My legs do not work at all. Um, so a stepladder is just a piss take him taking the piss out of the fact that yeah. I can't walk and I ask people whether I think that's a good thing or a bad thing and a lot of them their natural, your first natural reaction is to say no obviously yeah. it's a bad thing like he's, he's yeah. making fun of the fact that I can't walk making fun of my disability but mm. what I take away from that and what I the message that I want to give and obviously there's you don't want to encourage bullying and um, it's all all fun in so long as it's taken the right way so exactly yeah the way that he was intending it and the way that I take it is that he didn't think of me any differently if hanging out with your mates and, and your brothers and you just want, it's all about having a good time and mm. you take the piss out of each other, jokes, yeah. like if he hadn't have done that, if people, when I came back after breaking my back had just wrapped, wrapped me in cotton wool, were really careful about what they said around me, didn't want to offend me and therefore didn't include me in things, you know, mm-hmm. then I would feel like there was something wrong with me i feel like there's something different about me when my friends and family never treated me differently like if they would always i got asked to do the same amount of things that i would get asked to if i didn't have a disability if i did something wrong i'll get punished if i did something right yeah. i'll get praised i don't want to be treated any differently in that space and if if the boys are hanging around and we're playing jokes on each other and i want to be included in that yeah. i don't want to be on a pedestal I don't want to be you know wrapped in cotton wool and, and, and looked after because there's there's no fun in that I, mm. I don't think that you grow as a person from that and I, obviously this is just one example of, of how that's happened but I think that's something really important and that's just one a good way to to show how that how that was for, yeah. for me and that's just so I think that's that's really important in that in that whole sort of space of things mm. yeah and I, I remember actually um, seeing a picture when I was at St. B's of um, you and Mitch Creek like playing basketball at school and like obviously Mitch Creek is now you know pursuing his basketball career and, and that sort of yeah reminds me that like obviously he didn't treat you anything different like you just obviously trained together mm-hmm. um, and would sort of go about your days as, as sort of normal people yeah yeah, um, no. which I think is just so incredible mm-hmm. yeah I mean it, I was spending a lot of time with Mitch in, in high school was awesome he because was he your year level or was he... My age, but in the year level below. I think okay. I'm two months older than Creaky, something like that. Yeah. So we trained a fair bit together. We were on pretty similar paths in our basketball careers. Yeah. And able-bodied and me playing in the in wheelchair basketball. Yeah. But uh, we'd see each other a lot at, at tournaments and things. Mm. He was a scholarship holder at the AIS for a couple of years. So yeah. we'd have camps down there. We'd, we'd run into each other and he did a fair bit of wheelchair basketball with me, which was really cool. Yeah. That's one of the great things about wheelchair basketball is that it doesn't you don't have to be disabled to play it and nah. the first team that I played in was the Horsham team which was comprised 90% of my friends and family like <laughs> my brothers played my cousins played so good Mitch played yeah like and then there was maybe one or two other people in the Horsham community uh, that, that jumped in as well but it was basically just my friends and family and that was the the beauty of it and that was another really going back to being included that was another really important thing for me was to be able to have an outlet something that I could do with with my mates True. here, you know yeah. that, that was that was super important, and um, mm. obviously as I got older and and more uh, accomplished or developed as an as a wheelchair basketball athlete, then I started pursuing it more professionally. And yeah. when you get to a professional representative level, yes, you do have to have a disability. Yes. So that's where it's sort of we our paths yeah, sort of diverged yeah. a little bit, but. Um, yeah, in, in in the outset, that was super important for me as in my development as a as a person, I guess. Yeah. So, when did your wheelchair basketball kind of career start to gain traction, and, and really sort of you, you started then focusing on that and, and wanting to make a 
sort of um, pursue it, I guess. Yeah. Um, probably around... I started playing with the national in the National League. Yeah. So in the NBL or the NWBL for us. Uh, I want to say in 07. Okay, yeah. So that was when I got my first real taste of... And at that point, I was 15. I was just riding the bench watching like i was training with the team would play a couple of junk minutes at the end of a game if we were getting pumped or if we were pumping someone you know like yeah had very little impact personally on the game but that's it's an important part of any athlete's career is where you start and just being Mm. exposed to the sport at a higher level yeah our national league is the highest level that you can play within australia domestically and then obviously after that um, international and then the australian league is is competitive but it's it's not quite as competitive as the European leagues. That's probably the pinnacle in terms of league basketball. It's where the most money is made and therefore yep. the highest standard is. So, uh, But for me as a 15-year-old, that was important to, to get an experience in the National League and to see all the guys that played in the national team and the Aussie team were the stars of the National League and I got to go there and, and play against them, mm. <laughs> train with a few that played in the Melbourne team and, and play against the others and just had the hardest time for a number of years trying to to be able to compete at that level i just remember and physically as well i remember seeing some guys that i thought i've got this guy like little fella should be okay like i was still young but um there's a couple of guys that i would have to defend that i would be bigger than physically and in my mind stronger than but just in terms of the the tactic of the game the speed agility chair skills being able to maneuver the chair like i just couldn't compete and just routinely got <laughs> destroyed by people that God. just all sorts like bigger than me smaller than yeah. me it didn't matter it, yeah. so but that obviously comes with time and and the more time i spent training and playing you know you like to think you only get beaten the same way a couple of times and mm. eventually you figure it out and then you learn and then you start to be able to replicate those moves Jeez. on other people so yeah first couple of years were a big learning experience and um was super fortunate in in some ways like a guy an older guy that was playing my position got was injured a year, so he had uh, shoulder surgery, which meant that uh, instead of riding the bench, sort of just hit as his replacement, I got right. thrown in the deep end and was playing. Uh, you know, we in back in those days it was forty eight minutes a game. We I was playing the full forty eight because yeah, our starting guy was injured and I just had no idea what to do. But <laughs> you know, that's the best way to learn is get you get thrown exactly. in the deep end, you make mistakes. Yeah, and and you get better from it. And physically, I would go away for a weekend. We in those days, we might play three games on a weekend. We might do a three triple header in, say, in Sydney. We might play Friday night, Saturday afternoon, and Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And I'm playing 48 minutes in each of these games. Yeah. I'd rock up to the first game. I'd be fine. I'm young, 17. Let's say at this full age, of full of energy, like yeah. crush out the first game. No worries. Wake up on the Saturday and literally can't move my arms. <laughs> so you know, like and just. Having to acclimatize that, yeah. playing a playing a man's game against fully grown men, yep. professional athletes, and me as a seventeen year old aspiring athlete, uh, it was a it was a steep learning curve. And uh, what was your your biggest sort of learnings through that, like um, to sort of stick at or to be persistent or? Well, I learned how to be a professional in those sort of years, or learned how to prepare my body. Out. At that sort of age, I started getting invited to camps with the national team. Yeah, and. I remember I turned up to one, probably, well, definitely not in good enough shape. And right. I was in similar sort of thing. I was fine for the first day, but then the camps say five or six days long. Mm-hmm. And every day after that, I was just trying to catch up, just never felt physically good enough or physically fit again, just because yeah. I was trying to recover. My body was, was not prepared for that sort of yeah. level. And the main feedback that the coaching staff gave me was that, you don't come to a training camp to get fit. You come to to be able to get better as a basketball player and right. learn how to play with the team. So the preparation period before you come to the camp in your own time is about getting fit. Like there's no, you're no use to us if you come yeah. here and try and use the training camp to get fit because we're trying to use the training camp to pick a team to go to and play the tournament. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, the it was given to me like the feedback wasn't as wasn't framed as nicely as that. I'll tell no. you, it was very. I got torn apart a number of times in my early years like really uh copped it pretty sweet yeah Yeah. big time and but it 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 had an impact and now the physical side of my career is something i pride myself on 
I don't, I learned pretty quickly in that sort of space how to properly prepare the amount of mm-hmm. time I need beforehand, the amount of the type of training I need to be able to do and those sorts of things. And I know, I feel within myself that I get super anxious if I've got a tournament or a camp coming up and I can't get the right sort of training done. Yeah. Uh, so I, and I do whatever yeah. I can to be able to make sure I can because there's no worse feeling. Than going in unprepared. Uh, going unprepared is... Yeah. For us, it's, I mean, it's, it's our job. It's, it's like... That's it. So what, what does your training sort of look like? Um, or back then, kind of thing, what, what did your training look like? Because um, um, obviously you'd have um, on-court sort of stuff, but then off-court is probably the, the most important bit for you. Yeah, and, and, and well, and gym yeah. came into it as a big part. I hated the gym initially just because I felt like it took so much... It fatigued me so much that I couldn't push my chair properly. And yeah. it just... When yeah, you, when you well, st- when you started and that's the thing we use all the same muscle groups we don't have the luxury yeah. of running around and then you know that's jumping and shooting and so we're using if your arms are fatigued and your arms are how you get from one end of the court to the yeah. other and then if your arms are fatigued you still need to be able to shoot, shoot. a ball um, it's so you just spend so much time working the same muscle groups your chest your back your shoulders um, um, so I hated the gym initially just because I felt like I couldn't I could never I was always fatigued, right? So mm. it took a long time of investing in the gym for finally to feel like I was on the other side of that, to feel yeah. like now because I had put so much time in the gym and developed those muscle groups properly that it was now a benefit to me. And if mm. I didn't do it, I would feel fatigued for not having done it, you know, yeah. in the game. Like, And I'm competing against other guys. Like we're all fully grown men. Mm. and if you're now not in the gym then you notice it because you're getting beat up by stronger guys <laughs> than you so um, that was a big hurdle to get over in those that's sort of what happens I guess when you go from your late teens into early 20s True. and you go from say a boy to a man yeah. um, in, if you yeah. were to say it yeah um, yeah so um, yes. and then I guess the, the another off another part that comes into it I guess is knowing the game that 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 comes into it a lot and knowing if you're going to a tournament knowing your opposition a little bit yeah because there's one thing to be able to rock up to a tournament fit but you also know need to know who you're playing and how they like to play because everyone's got a different style so uh, yeah that comes with comes with age and experience and and so that's a big part but also studying film and, and those yeah right of, so you actually you did that did you we do a lot of that yeah in the, in the lead up particularly bigger tournaments of, like of their a, gameplay and then sort of how they yeah, go about for individual it, yeah. players like you have a particular matchup that you're likely to get and yeah. for a bigger tournament like our worlds and like qualification tournaments and worlds and paralympics like we spend a lot of time oh, doing true. scouting yeah. and videos and, and those yeah. sorts of things and then yeah yeah and um so your uh, i sort of did a little bit of research before came but um was it 2009, like, was your big breakthrough where you sort of got onto the Australian team to then go over, overseas and play internationally? Yep. Yeah, I debuted with the under-23 team in 2009 in yep. Paris. How did that feel <laughs> to, was, to make yeah, that team? Awesome experience, really, really. Uh, just the lead-up, like we had maybe a year or two of going to camps at the AIS. You start yep. with a big squad and after each camp, they cut it down. You might start with 30 and then they cut yep. it to 24 and then they cut it to 18 and Jeez. then they cut it to 12. So yep. that was the first time I'd been involved in that sort of experience and it was awesome, um, nerve-wracking and, and exciting. And so yeah, a lot of really cool um, experiences there. And then we went, I was lucky enough to get selected and went away. Um, I was only 17 we went away we came fourth we lost on a buzzer beater to Sweden um, by a point so that that sucks but yeah. ultimately a cool experience to be on tour yeah um, with a group of guys and and yeah just that being away from home uh, I traveled a little bit but that was I guess my first time traveling overseas mm. without my parents it would, would have to be as, still young as 17 well. yeah I was yeah. in year 12 so a bit of a balancing act yeah. or juggling act with with high school cool, luckily yeah. some bridges were always really supportive and, yeah. and and did everything they could to help me out so definitely and then later that year i debuted with the men's team at uh tournament in dandenong at the qualification tournament for the world champs which were happening the next year right so it, before every odd year so 2009 yes. 2011 yep. 2013 uh each zone of which there are four there's the americas africa uh Europe and then 
Asia, like Australasia. Zone. We're yeah. in the Asian zone. Um, each zone will have a qualification tournament for the major tournament that comes the following year. So yeah. whether it be the World Championships or the Paralympics, yeah. which would be happening this, every other year. Yeah, yeah. Which this year would have been one of them. Yeah. So uh, we qualify. We had to play this tournament in Dandenong. The top three teams qualify from our zone. We're playing against typical typical teams that say China, Japan, South Korea, yeah. Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, uh, Thailand. There's India. Chile, yeah. Sorry. Um, a lot of <laughs> a lot of different teams from from that part of the world. Um, and I was. Yeah, lucky enough to get picked in that team mm. we won the tournament and qualified the team for the world champs the following year in Birmingham in England which then I got dropped from in the process so you qualify the team but that doesn't mean that you you personally no, not at all. In, so the yeah. team has a spot in that in that tournament the yep. following year and then during the process that next year of having camps and things uh, I got dropped from that team so right. helped qualify the team but then wasn't good enough to get picked in the team yeah. Um, which I felt like I was probably around the mark and that was probably in that process where I was still I think one of those camps was the one that I was speaking about earlier where I rocked up not in good enough shape and and was was told by the coaching staff that that wasn't good enough and I think probably a a repercussion of that was not getting selected for the team because I didn't get picked for a tour we went to to Turkey and Italy I think and then Mm -hmm. I think a large part of that I, just, I didn't get enough opportunity to show what I could do and mm. then didn't get picked for the for the tournament. So, um, How do you sort of see those knockbacks? Because obviously that's, at the time, pretty gut-wrenching and, and you sort of think that you put in so much effort. Mm. Um, and I know personally through my sort of swimming, they're like, you know, um, trying to get a qualification time or trying to get a place in a, an event. Like you sort of think that you've done all you can, but... You know, you're obviously not good enough or um, not sort of at that mark to get that time or to qualify. Yeah. Like, how do you sort of, you know, um, build upon that or, or sort of come back from that? Yeah, I guess you can you can take it one or two ways. You can you can get upset. You can take it mm. personally. You can think that the coaching staff have got it in for you. You can think yeah. that you are hard done by and wronged and, and, and blame walk, other people. Blame other people and walk away. Or you can look at it the other way and, and think that I'm going to, train so hard I'm going to make myself so good yep. that they can't not pick me yeah and that's I guess the the mentality that I chose I, I the beauty of it for me I guess I was still quite young 18 still very much in the upward yes. slope of my career so it I guess it's a harder thing to have happen to you when you're a bit older and maybe um, you're maybe getting closer to the peak and maybe on the other side so yep. it was easy enough to think wasn't my wasn't good enough now but I still can be, I can still get a lot better. I mm. knew that. I knew I could get fitter and stronger and I knew I could get better at basketball. I knew I could under- learn the game better. I just had to do it. It yep. was a matter of that was it. Um, I'd been lucky enough to be offered a scholarship to study and play basketball in, in the United States at the university of Missouri. So yep. I accepted that scholarship and went over there and that, I think my career or my game personally took a step over there because yeah. I went from living in well, say between Horsham and Melbourne um, to living on a university campus with 12 other guys that were all training together every yeah. morning from two hours on court from 6am to 8am every morning we'd have gym sessions in the afternoon mm. shooting session in the afternoon and that was where I guess I was really for the first time in a fully professional environment for eight months of the year Yeah, we're playing games every weekend we're playing against all young guys of our similar age between 18 and 23 generally and a pretty high standard America at that point well it was between it's one of the powerhouses between Australia and America but okay. just being such a condensed environment where you're training on court oh, every day yeah. you, you find you just you're you can't help but get better by it. Yeah. at basketball and so I think I took a step in my career in, in that um, in that space and, and when I came back I was uh, we were more or less in the in the lead up period for the London Paralympics, and yep. that was the next major. So, yeah. got picked for the qualifying tournament in South Korea, and then was lucky enough to get picked for the Paralympics yeah. the following That's year. Pretty, pretty unreal. Which is a big yeah. As, at twenty uh, years of age, was Jeez. was a pretty big deal, and and I through fortune, I guess a little bit. The a guy who's so I played the same position as a guy who'd retired after that world championship. Yep. in 2010 and I took his spot and uh, 
we were looking for we had a really well established core group of five our starting five yeah to refer to it in basketball standard um basketball talk i guess yeah and yeah. this guy brandon dowler had retired i played the same position they brought me into the team and they were looking for someone to play that starting role which ultimately involves playing a lot of the minutes and and having a pretty big impact and i was like i guess they picked me and, and threw me in the deep end there um, yeah but they thought that i was gonna be able to learn wow. enough on the fly and be able to replace him and luckily yeah. My job in that sense was pretty easy. They we had four other guys that have. They're all from Perth. They grew up playing together. They're all similar age, mm-hmm. and they had super, really well drilled team, um, or on court balance. And it was just for me. It's just a matter of slotting in and doing what they told me and learning from them. And I was super lucky to be able to play in that group for a number of years. We uh, came second or won the silver medal in in London yeah, with that just... group, and then we won the worlds the following or two years later in Korea with that core group and for me to play my young years my debutante years with that group of other guys who are all legends of Australian wheelchair basketball was super fortunate I was super fortunate to have that experience I learned an incredible amount from them probably didn't Mm. realize it at the time because we had so much success because of how good they all were and how good they they helped me become in that sense like it was like I'm playing with some of the best players in the world and you just knew each other so well like, they yeah. all knew each other so well and it's just a matter of me learning as quickly as I could to try and catch up and it wasn't until we lost a few of those guys to retirement and then we had a really mm. quite unsuccessful campaign by by our standards in, in Brazil in Rio in 2016 when we came sixth which was the first time we are not in the podium for yeah, forever and a day really for Australian wheelchair basketball uh, and then yeah. those moments that I really reflect upon how lucky I was to come into such a well-drilled and well, um, I guess, well-established team. Mm. You don't realize what you've got until you lose it, really. And then after that, we had to go back to the drawing board and try and put together a new, new core group and a new find a new playing style and and try yeah. and recreate some of those successes that this other group they'd spent ten or fifteen years molding and perfecting it. And I was able just to come in for the last couple of years and, and really benefit from it. And then now I'm trying to be one of the, I guess, one of the older and more senior guys in that building that next core group is what yeah. we're sort of going through now and, and starting to have a bit of success again after after a disappointing campaign in Rio. Yeah, we're trying yeah. to get back to our previous heights, new guys, new faces, new playing style, but yeah. um, same sort of mentality, mentality I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, in, because you, you quickly brushed over it then, but um, in um, <laughs> in London, no, no, you're right. In London, you's, um, you got like silver medal place. Yeah. Like was that you know, what you were aiming for, were you aiming to get podium or were you sort of trying to get the gold? Because I, it was a close game, wasn't close it? Game, yeah, we were tied within a couple of minutes to go. I think we lost by six in the end. Yeah. But yeah, we were tied within the last couple of minutes. It was a super close game. Um, yeah, it's a weird way and it's another thing that I only realise now, but we were, there was never any talk of anything other than gold in the lead yep. up. Like our, our intention was 100% win. Yeah. To the point where I remember in the lead up to when I hadn't even been selected yet, my mother, Hannah, would ask me whether I was nervous about getting picked and I was never really nervous about getting picked because I wasn't thinking about getting picked. I was thinking about winning gold. Gold, right. You were that it, step Step ahead. further. Like it didn't even occur to me to, in, which is, I mean, I don't know how it sounds for not, because I hadn't played at a major yet, but that was sort of our mindset was just yeah. winning gold. and. We'd had a lot of success in the past. We won gold in 2008 at the Paralympics. Yeah. The world champs that I didn't get picked for in 2010, we won gold. Mm. So we're the reigning world champions and the reigning Paralympic champions. Had a really, really good team. Really great, great uh, core group of starting five that i was just been speaking about. And then our bench was really, really strong as well. Mm. Um, we could make changes and, and maintain the similar level of intensity and, and, and skill on the court. So... Um, so yeah, that was 100% our focus was winning gold and silver very, very almost achieved our our goal and, and lost to a very good Canadian team. And we went on to win gold two years later at the next World Champs. So we're still riding that high and, and yeah. still got that mentality of like, we, we lost so few games, which is such a crazy thing to look back upon now. Like I, it would never occur to me that we would lose. Like yeah. every game that I rocked up to playing with that squad, I was like, well, we're just going to win because that's, win, yeah. that's all we did. We just... 
we just beat the pants off almost everybody. Yeah. And then it wasn't until, um, in I guess the campaign in in Rio when we started to lose games is that it occurred to me that like that you can change that and it it started to dawn on me a little bit how important that mental edge is mm. to have and that mm. mentality like we're going to win because plenty of games that we weren't winning but we weren't really too concerned about it and we knew that if we just kept to our game style that we would win it's such yep. a, it's a weird like right. apply the process stick to the process is, and then let the process take care of the result that's kind of yeah a little bit how it went and it yeah, it's and that can only get you so far, can't it? And like the the physical ability can only get you so far, but that mentality, mentality or that yeah. mental kind of component is yeah. the that next step. Yeah, and the oppositions elite. would know that, like they we had obviously a lot of reputation and notoriety because we we'd been the strongest program for oh, that yeah. previous however many ten years. So teams knew that when they were playing against us, that like what was going to come, and that does half the job for you. And now mm. that we've kind of fallen off a little bit after in Rio now we're in the process of trying to build that back and trying yeah. to get that we still have a little bit of the reputation and that I think we'll always have but it's a matter of getting those results again um, mm. to build that to get that mental advantage again because I know now when we play a team like the United States who won in Rio and uh, with a really 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 strong team they've got th- that mental yeah. edge now yeah. Like I know when we play them now, like you you know and you're thinking about it before it happens. Yeah, and you're worried and you know we played them in the semi-final at the Worlds in 2018 and we were winning at the start, but we were I think we were always nervous and we always knew that they were going to come at some point. They yeah. were going to go on a run and it was going to be hard to stop. And it happened in I don't know, I think it might happen in the second quarter. They just turned it on and we just we struggled. They just had a big 5 or 6 minute window where they put maybe got up by 10 points or something Jeez. which is enough in international yeah. wheelchair basketball and then they're able just to hold it and maintain it and we couldn't we were able to stick with them but we weren't able to pick it back and it, I think a lot of it is that mental because when you're at the top two, three, four teams in the world everyone mm. is as good physically everyone's as strong everyone's as fit yep. everyone can shoot the ball at a really high percentage but it's a matter of that mental strength and yep. then that team camaraderie I guess like having that yeah that gel within your team and, and how and that meant like those little sort of things are really hard to quantify like non-tangible yeah. sort of things yeah. you know like how well do you know each other yeah the feelings that sort of thing yeah. how much do other do you intimidate other teams I guess in, in some mm. capacity as well yeah so I know like with um with your team probably you would have after Rio had to sort of rethink your, your sort of structure and, and sort of um have a look at how you can sort of you know come back but personally, because obviously wheelchair basketball and those team sports are so much a team aspect, but like personally, how did you sort of um, come back from that or what did you do yourself to try and, you know, get into that mindset to then help the team? Um, I think after Rio, I took, I want to say I took a step away from basketball. I, I came back, I just finished studying. I'd been away studying in the United States and playing basketball, mm-hmm. living overseas away from from friends and family, I guess, yeah. Australian ones. At that, um, yeah, yeah. For the, since I was 18, basically. So I came back from to Horsham, wanted to spend some time here, wanted to do yeah. some, kept playing basketball and training and things, but just wanted to do some things outside of basketball, did some um, work in the office out at the farm and, and mm-hmm. lived back at home and spent a lot of time with my family and mm. went on a big trip with my younger brother, which was awesome. And um, So I did some things outside of basketball which I hadn't had the opportunity to do which I think was pretty important to mm-hmm. I guess get a bigger take a bigger picture of what's happening in your life and get yeah. an idea because basketball's not going to be around forever and I just wanted to do some things that, that would help prepare me for life after basketball and, and make the most of some opportunities that because when we're training and playing and oh, living abroad you're like you're, that's your sole focus and you can't you can't take free weekends to do this you're nah. always you're playing every weekend which um, which is I mean it's what you do and we love doing it but at the same time you do notice it after a while that you're mm. missing out on things you miss a lot of weddings you miss yeah birthday parties you miss yeah so true um, mm. all the those special, special events occasions, so yeah. I wanted to take advantage of some of those which was pretty important and then when I started to get back into the basketball mindset with the idea of 2018 being the next major and getting a bit of redemption yeah um, I think a lot of it was done I mean, from a personal standpoint, it was a matter of, I guess, transitioning from being a, a younger guy on, on the team 
and having really good leaders around mm-hmm. me to transition into becoming one of those leaders yes, and helping because yeah. we knew we had to sort of you know go back to the drawing board and, and remodel our team and we didn't have to change necessarily a huge amount of players we just had to shuffle around who was going to play with who and what our new game style was going to be yeah. um, bring in a couple of new guys and then sort of we had enough pieces we didn't have to do a complete rebuild which would take a long time we just had to do a little one and then sort of mm. restructure it and then start again in that process we got a new coach which was really good and and changed our mentality a little bit and i think it was just trying to be as much of a part of that as i could and trying to give back after being really fortunate to have been led by really great leaders to then try and 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 do some and be a a leader i guess in my own way with this next group Mm, yeah which i think is um really important like that transition period can be quite tricky can't super it? tricky and you see it happen with a lot of great sporting teams and you can yeah. apply it to other outside of sports as well um to working environments or whatever it would be having having a great team is super important but also super hard to do yeah and you you only realize it when you when you lose it how yeah. how important and how good it was and yeah so yeah. true um and so now um, that you are sort of more the senior player, what are you sort of trying to do to try and help the, the rest of the team and, and be that sort of leader? Um, when, when you're sort of training and, and on court and off court? Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it's, it's just... Imp- just that camaraderie. That, camaraderie, yeah. yeah. I guess you, you, we have a standard that, that we'd like to... that we've set amongst the group and it's a matter of holding people... I guess accountable and, yeah. and, and maintaining that standard. Um, I guess and, and leading by example, I think is is mm. something that I try and do. I'm, I prefer that method than any other. Yeah. I think just in the moments where you have to be professional in terms of your preparation, in terms of your training, in terms of your diet, things like that. Like that's easy enough to see. So you can see the people that do it well. I try and be one of those people so that people can yeah. then look at that or Go, ask me okay. about it or whatever I've, I've made enough mistakes in my life to have learned from them and I've, I've yeah so then I've had plenty had enough experience now in a, in a lot of different ways that that um, I've learned from them and, and benefited mm. from those experiences and then can now share that with with other people and then um, and as you said that camaraderie and, and fostering I guess our culture I guess is another word that, that we throw mm. around and, and building a, a good culture and not just on court but it's important off court it's important to enjoy for us, we spend so much time together. Important to enjoy that time together and enjoy what we do. Enjoy True. playing basketball. It it's, can't be like a taxing experience all the time. They're going yeah. to be hard moments. Training is going to be hard. Waking up early for sessions is going to be hard. Doing two or three sessions in a day, having your hands literally covered in blisters. Oh yeah. Uh, like that's hard and not enjoyable experiences all the time. So there's got to be enjoyable parts to yeah. it. You've got to enjoy the end goal you've got to be enjoy the process as well because i mean i've I've said this to a like a number of guys there's no guarantee that we're going to get picked for the team like there's no guarantee that the coach is going to think you're good enough there's no guarantee so it's important to enjoy the process of trying to get there the journey because there's no guarantee that when you get there you're going to the result's going to be what you wanted it to be yeah there's no guarantee like you, you might still get picked you might go on a campaign we might get beaten by a better team mm. and if you put all your eggs in that one basket of where it's all about winning it's all about getting picked or that one yeah. thing and then that doesn't happen then that can negatively impact on the whole experience whereas if you're taking the time to really appreciate the journey and enjoy what you're doing every day at least in some capacity then i think the whole experience will be better regardless of the end result you've still got your goal you still want to get picked or you still want to win the tournament or whatever it might be but if you yeah. can enjoy the journey and i think that's a great metaphor you can use that about life, life if you, really yeah you want to enjoy the journey rather than being so fixated on one picking one goal to try and hit and then if you don't hit it then what have you where are you then you have probably tempted to think that you failed in some capacity which isn't true you just didn't achieve that goal but mm. if you've enjoyed the journey of trying to get there then that's more important than yeah then the end result and then if you enjoy the journey and you get the, the end result win, win goal bonus. Medal, then bloody bonza yeah you know yeah. that's so i've told that to the other guys that have been arming and arming about their position and and might not get picked and things and, and i think that's something that i i really do believe 
and I think that it's an important. I think yeah, you you um, summed it up well. They're like, I um, I can see that as well. That you know, just actually taking time to enjoy the present moment, like enjoy that time with your mates, or you know, that the old saying of, of you know, sniff the roses kind of thing, you know, is is really important because yeah, they kind of just get so brushed or like. They, they fly by if you don't sort of really take the time to think about them or, or experience them. Um, so probably should wrap things up. Um, now, I ask, like to ask a few questions at the end here. So my first question is, if you were to meet anyone in the world, famous, infamous, dead or alive, who would it be? And I think we were talking about this before, and I think your example um, is, a, is a pretty good one. Yeah, the, the one that we said before, which... Um we just chatting with with Dan earlier. Um, I said Nick Kyrgios for, and I think one thing I really enjoy about Nick, I, I, I enjoy meeting him. I I feel like it wouldn't be too hard to imagine what that would be like mm. for the reason why and the reason that reason is why I want to meet him because I think he he plays a really straight bat. He as a professional athlete or any person I guess that um, he's put in the spotlight. Uh, a lot of people in that space might change, I guess, who they are, whereas he very obviously hasn't changed. He he says what he thinks, he plays tennis yeah. how he wants to play, and he, he acts how how he wants, whether that's right or wrong. And, and I mean, I'll probably offend some people in, in, in saying that because he's quite a controversial people and, and everyone feels like they're entitled to have an opinion about him and, mm-hmm. and the way that he, he comports himself, I guess. Yeah. Um, whereas... I really admire the fact that for him, he has just stuck to who he is as a person. And, and I'm not saying that like, there's not some parts of his personality that maybe you'd brush up a little bit in, yeah. in that sense. Like he says some pretty outrageous stuff or plays some pretty... But I think that I really admire that, that he hasn't let his profession change him. And yeah. so I, I, I admire that about him. And I think he would be an interesting guy to, to chat to, yeah. to ask about that. And I think you get a pretty straight up answer from that. So... Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and he's probably let, you know, sponsorship opportunities fly by for that reason. He's probably lost a lot of money that he could potentially have gained in sponsorship. And that obviously is something that hasn't, like, he doesn't care about that, which I admire as well. Because mm, a lot of people will... It's clear that, yeah, he doesn't. Will, exactly. Will say anything for money, will say anything for more notoriety or yep. more fame. Whereas for him, it's just a matter of he just wants to play tennis the way that he wants to play. Uh, he lets his emotions, I mean... Out of the, he wears his heart on his sleeve to, to yeah. and and yeah so that's probably that's probably one of them for sure yeah there you go um, I love that answer it's, it's a good one yeah. um, now if you were to give any advice to your sort of 18 year old self or 17 year old self where you were just getting into that kind of um, big part of your career mm-hmm. what advice would that be? Um, yeah, it's, a, it's interesting one in one sense, just as an 18-year-old, as a young person, I think advice, and I think anybody could take this on, is take a little bit of time to, I mean, and really critically assess. It's a hard one to do because I think as young people always are told to think about what you want to do with your life. Mm-hmm. and But just to think about what skills, I guess, that you want to have or that you think will benefit you in the future and take the time at an early age to really invest in them. invest in them yeah yeah because you'll use them forever for the rest of your life yeah you know? and i think the the sooner that we and those i guess we're always doing that in, in life but that's sort of one thing that i'll reflect on there's there's things that i wish that i'd really taken the time to master at a young age and we sort of let a, a lot of opportunities fly by when we're young and then we get to uh you know later on in life mm. and, and you think oh, i wish i'd i'd done that and it's a hard thing to think of what you in the moment when you're young to seize those yeah. opportunities. But I think to really, to take the time every now and again to really think about what it is, where you think you might want to go or what skills you think you might want to, you might need in the future, but to really take the time to, to master them or to invest yeah. in them so that, because there's a, we can do amazing things and when we take the time to yeah. learn them, it's, it's amazing what we can do as, as human beings and, and the sooner we... we invest in those skills then the sooner we can start to benefit from them, I guess. Yeah, what sort of skills were you sort of thinking of for yourself to try and reflecting back now that you would have liked to invest in or yeah I'm, well personally now I'm, I'm obsessed with languages and learning them 
Right. Um, so I wish that I'd taken more time at a younger age to do that. I, I guess it started my mother's Danish, so she yeah. obviously speaks Danish, as Danish people do. Um, yeah. And I spoke it when I was really young, and then wasn't something that was important to me, really, when I was... And it's a hard thing, a hard skill to learn, I guess, or mm. you make a lot of excuses. It, and it is genuinely difficult when you're not living in the country and yeah. like small languages, it makes it harder. But now I spend a lot of time studying Danish amongst other languages, Spanish and, and mm. more recently Italian. So, Jeez. And I wish that I... Obviously, the younger you are, the more you start. The younger you are when you start, the more you can benefit Easy, from it and yeah. the easier it is to learn. Things are something that I wish I'd sunk more time into at a younger age and then trying to sort of play catch up now mm. but you can apply that to anything any, yeah any skill any skill you want I guess so yeah definitely that's one from a yeah. from like a productivity standpoint I guess and another one is it's a hard piece of advice but it's one to to enjoy and this kind of comes back to living in the moment sort of thing I, I noticed a, a shift in myself as a person when I sort of got to my mid 20s and you sort of started to now, I've realized it because when I was hanging out with my younger brother, who's say four and a half years younger than me, mm-hmm. I noticed in him like just that that mentality that you have when you're at that sort of age of 18, 19, 20. Um, you, I think at that age, you're a lot better at living in the moment. And yeah. it's just an enjoyable and infectious energy to be around. And yes. when I noticed that hanging out with my younger brother, Tobias, in that sort of um, age, I was like, God, this guy is unreal. Like, and just like so little regard for tomorrow and just like living in the moment. So it's obviously, I think I'm contradicting myself a little bit in the opinion that I'm giving, but that's another sort of important thing is to be able to live in the moment and enjoy the experiences that, that we're having as we're having them. And then I guess trying to keep being able to do that as we live our lives to appreciate what we've got. And Mm. and so it's, it's calm. I guess I'm giving advice in two different um, spaces. One live in the moment, the other one make the most of, today for tomorrow I don't know yeah so. <laughs> no 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 I, I think it's yeah they, they both sort of you know overlap pretty yeah, well yeah um, together so no unreal um, now what what sort of sparks you now Yannick and um, what gets you fired up gets me fired up I guess continue on the on the, on the path that I'm on it's yeah. I'm well and truly on it now in, in like a, a basketballing standpoint and I guess you're getting to the point now where I'm, I'm still hopefully maybe 10 years away from retiring mm. but I've also now been playing on the men's team for 10 years so I'm probably at that midway point ideally if I can stretch my career for another 10 years so that means now everything I'm closer to retiring than I am from having started you know <laughs> yeah um, yeah True. but I've been a part of a long part of the journey and I guess part of this Aussie team for this journey and came in at the top we had a bit of a dive so now it's a matter of getting back up and I'd love to leave the program in as good a condition or better than, than I found it yeah um, so that's sort of what sparks me now and having had some time away from basketball during the coronavirus period um, had a few months out of my chair which was mm. a pretty rare experience to get and it's definitely generated that hunger in me again to get back playing and, and traveling and, and competing yeah. and um, yeah, so I'm super excited for, for the next couple of years with hopefully the Paralympics next year yep. and it'll be the world champs straight after that the following year. And then, uh, yeah, so it's, it'll be a big few years of, of basketball oh, coming yeah. out, which is well, I'm excited to get back into. It's, it's been nice to have some, a bit of a break and a bit of time away, mm-hmm. but um, it certainly made me realize again that I do still really love it, really love it, really enjoy it. It's still a massive part of who I am and, and yeah so I guess that's sort of what sparks me at the moment is to keep doing what I what I have been doing I guess yeah. and, and keep on that on the on the journey that, that incline mm-hmm. yeah a bit of luck yeah yeah amazing so good thank you very much Annie. no worries thank appreciate you appreciate it jeepers what a conversation that was I was just like I was sitting upright and I was you know, so engaged and so wanting to, you know, hear Yannick's story and hear everything he was saying. I was leaning into him more during this conversation. I know you can't sort of physically or visually see it, but uh, I was just so blown away by it, by the things he was saying, like, you know, how he never really felt depressed or um, 
felt lonely. He always felt um, normal. And I was just completely blown away by that. But, you know, it makes sense because it happened at such an early age for him that he's now lived with a disability for more than he has lived without. And so that's the norm for him. And, um, and yeah, I really do take my hat off him, uh, hat off to him and, and commend him for everything that he's, he's achieved and, and sort of, you know, what he represents and the legacy he's building because he is truly inspirational and he set a lot of really good gold nuggets in this episode and I'll touch on them in the next EJ's um, Insightful Sparks. But for now, like, you know, I, I hope you sort of took something away from this episode and this conversation I had with him. And I felt just like I'd known him for years and years and like it just felt so natural, the conversation. But, you know, I'd only met him that day, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, but, yeah, I, I hope you enjoy it. And if you did, please take a screenshot and put it up on your Instagram story. Tag myself at EJSparks underscore conversations and tag Yannick. I'll put his um, his Instagram handle in the description. But um, yeah, sort of spread the word. If you, um, if you did enjoy this, send this episode to a friend, family members, whoever, because I think a lot of people can learn a lot from what Yannick has to say. Um, and yeah, I've got some really, really exciting guests coming up, um, some bigger name ones and some more, you know, local Horsham people, um, that have an incredible story and sort of, um, some really good things to talk about, like nutrition, like, um, kinesiology and that sort of thing. So pretty excited for the the next few episodes, but, um, you know, as always, you know what time it is, it's time to get out there and spark that conversation with your loved ones, spark that conversation with your friends, okay, and all the males out there, because it is Men's Health Week this week, make sure we get on that phone and call up a mate that you haven't spoken to in a while, okay, that's what I've been doing this week, I think I've made like five or six phone calls to mates, so make sure we do that, okay, blokes, because a conversation is progress. Thanks everyone for listening, peace out, and we'll see you in the next episode.